This is the third of three weeks of the Multiply series we've been going through, talking primarily about financial stewardship. <clears throat> Here at First Christian, we like to talk about the concept of stewardship as something that's not just about finances, it's something about a whole, a whole life uh, kind of way of taking care of what God's created for us. But we're going to focus on financial stewardship here for a few weeks. And this is the third of three. Uh, David Brannock, who is an elder here at First Christian, uh, preached the first two weeks, did a great job. Thanks to David for that. Uh, and the things he talked about first week is that God must be first. That's what he talked about the first week in this series, that God has to be first in terms of our motivation, in terms of uh, the reason we give. Uh, God has to be first. He, he talked about the first fruits of what you give. It's something that we do intentionally, purposely. We'll talk about that some a little more later. Second week, last week, we talked about a principle of multiplication and how multiplication works and why. And David talked about how God's power mixed with our obedience is what makes multiplication happen. God's power plus our obedience is what makes multiplication happen. And we're talking about Multiplication is something that God uses when he takes resources that, that he gives to us, we give them back, that God uses for the sake of making his kingdom work, grow. So we've been saying throughout the series, the series' big idea in basic terms is what you keep is all you have. But what you give away is what God multiplies. What you keep is all you have, but what we give away is what God multiplies. We'll unpack that a little bit more uh, later on here today. But I want to tell you a little example. I had a, a conversation with a friend of mine about this multiplication idea. And, uh, and so he told this story to me, and I'm going to tell you about it. My friend was <clears throat> an undergrad at uh, a southern university where this is the symbol, <laughs> just so you know. So you can, in your mind, sort of derisively, negatively think about him. <clears throat> so he was an undergrad there, and he was a marketing major, and he worked for the Department of Anesthesiology there, uh, making posters and slides, uh, things like that. Uh, he was a marketing major, had some artistic bent to, uh, to him. So he, he was making these posters and slides as part of his work study as an undergrad. He had this big project he was doing for the department, and uh, he was falling behind, wasn't quite getting as far enough uh, ahead as he needed to to get it done uh, in time. So he had a friend who was a full-time uh, employee of the Department of Anesthesiology, a full-time photographer. And so this friend, she helped him uh, by taking some pictures, by gathering some materials. Uh, in fact, she didn't just grab them from the place where they're all stored on campus. She went out to a store or two and, and actually bought materials for him. And uh, so she helped him make that project happen. And so after the project, he uh, approached her and said, well, how much did this cost? How much do I owe you? And here's what she said. You don't know me anything. Someday, you're going to know somebody who needs a favor. And I'm going to want you to do that for somebody else like I did for you. At the time, young undergrad, thinking this is a, this is a one-time obligation, right? Like she helped me, uh, so to repay her, I've got this obligation to go help somebody sometime, somewhere, soon, or eventually, right? But do you think that's how it actually operated for him? 
what actually happened and he said he never forgot how she said it and what he said what she said to him he said what actually happened is i took that experience he said i took that experience and i and i gave to others in ways that matched the ways that she gave to me and it wasn't just one time it was a bunch of times it became for him a way of life it became for him a principle by which he lived his whole life that's multiplication that's how God works when his truth gets in you and it goes out in multiple kinds of ways. And it even extends to our finances. We'll talk about that, unpack that along the way here. But that's what we mean by multiplication. God takes the resources that we give him and he multiplies them for his cause and for his glory. When we do that in faith, as a cheerful giver, we'll talk about that in a little bit here too, he takes those and he uses them for his kingdom. On the contrary, the things that we keep, that's all we have. The things we keep, that's all we have. Here's the tension. Here's the problem with this in our lives. We give intellectual assent to that truth. We understand that God wants to multiply our resources. We understand that they're his. We even understand in this sort of theological way that that Jesus comes down. He lives a perfect, sinless life for us. We love him for that. We, We know that he has extended infinite grace to us because of the cross. And so we know, we even feel that we we want to be people who generously give to others because of what he's given to us. We know that here and sometimes even here. The tension, the problem, the difficulty is that even when we are giving, we're often doing it in a way where in the back of our head we're still aware of some distrust. Here's the problem. We try to keep what we've got because we're afraid we're not going to have enough when we need it. And now we're preaching because this is a trust issue. This is a trust issue. We try to keep what we have. This is that first part of that multiplication principle. We try to keep what we have In fact, more than we need because we're afraid that when we need it, we won't have enough. And that's a trust issue. That's a trust issue. It's not trusting the promises of God to provide for us in ways that he says he will when we give. It's one of the few things in the New Testament where he says, go ahead, test me on that. Go ahead, test me. You want greater faith? You want greater faith? You want to know me more personally? You want to have an identification with Christ and the cross and what sacrifice looks like? Then give generously as I have given to you and then you'll see your faith grow. He says, test me on it. The problem is we're afraid that we don't have enough when we really need it. Now listen, I get it. At some level, when we're maybe even writing that check and we're thinking, okay, I... I, I, think this, this is the 10% or this is what I've decided to, to, to give, whatever that percentage or amount is. At the same time we're writing that check or making that decision, we're also aware of a whole bunch of other factors and responsibilities in our lives. Because it's a scary world out there. I get it. I get it. In fact, some of you are like lock and load, not just with this, but with your pocketbook as well. Because you're afraid that this country is going to fall apart. It may your preparation for, the, for this country falling apart is not going to be helped by your finances as much as your spiritual health 
And that's what God says about what happens when you give generously in a way that accords with the spirit of his, of his giving to us. And I know it's a trust issue. I know that it's a trust issue, and here's why. I know some things about you and me. <clears throat> this may be you, may not be. I hope it's not. But if it is, you'll know I'm preaching to you. <clears throat> I know this is a trust issue because for some of us, who, who, who believe we are mature believers, we love Jesus, and that may be the case, but you're still giving what you were giving 10 years ago, even though 10 years ago you were making considerably less income than you are now, and you haven't been thinking about giving generously in ways that accord with the way God's blessed you. Are we preaching yet? That's distrust. And, and, and the number one place this kind of stuff comes out that Jesus talks about almost more than anything else in the entire New Testament is our finances. That's where it shows up, friends. That's where it shows up, first and foremost. Distrust. It's why sometimes, another issue here, another example of distrust, it's why sometimes we can check our bank account ten times a day and now we're preaching to some of you. You'll know if I'm talking about you. We'll check our banking account 10 times a day. But at the same time, we can't find 10 minutes to sit with Jesus in prayer and read the word. Where's the priority? Distrust. We're not trusting God's promises. We, we don't really believe that what he says about how he provides for us is going to work. We know it's a, dis, a distrust. We know it's a trust issue. When sometimes you think that it's valid and perfectly okay for you to vote with your wallet. Which demonstrates that, that not only have you placed yourself above the God-vested eldership, but you've said, my obedience to you to give because it's about my faith increasing my obedience to you to give doesn't matter. That's what you've said. That's what you've said. So this is a trust issue with you and with God. That's why we, that's why we have to hoard. That's why we keep. That's why we have, you can look in some of your pantries, you have enough to keep you for, for like months. It's not the end of the world. Be prepared for something, sure. But, but listen, Listen, let's not kid ourselves. 99% of us are so far beyond rich compared to the average person in the rest of the world that you have no business, no business claiming any sort of, oh no, I might not have enough. You know that's true. It's a distrust of God's provision. And Jesus responds in a few places, especially to the Pharisees, uh, but he responds in a few places to some folks about this issue. He says, he says, you know what? If that's how you're living, if that's how you're living about your finances and your material goods, then you'd better enjoy that. You'd better enjoy that because that's going to be your reward. That's going to be your reward. What it demonstrates, what it demonstrates is the things of this world have a hold on your life. They are idols for you in ways you don't even begin to conceive of or be aware of. And yet they're holding you. 
They're holding you back from increased faith in God, increased joy in participating in what God's doing in the world. Listen, I'm not not telling you to give more so that First Christian Church has more money. Listen, that's going to happen because the Spirit makes it happen in the lives of people, whether you vote with your pocketbook or not. This is about you becoming the man or the woman that God created you to be, whose life manifests the character and nature of God, who produces something instead of just grabs it all for yourself. Some of us, are unwittingly snookered by the ways of the world. And Jesus says, what you keep is all the enjoyment you're going to get. That's the first half of that principle, that series, big idea we've been talking about. What you keep is all you have. But what you give away, here's the alternative to that. Here's the way that believers appreciate and enjoy and grow in their faith. What you give away is what God multiplies. Now listen, this trust issue isn't just with us. We all have some of this here and there. There are ways in which we all need to grow to trust God's provision for us, which means that instead of being tight-fisted, you probably need to be more generous. So that's not something that's just us. It's in the scriptures as well. The Corinthians had this problem. And so Paul wrote to them about it. Turn with me here to 2 Corinthians 9, if you haven't gotten there yet. We're going to look to this passage to tell us some of the answers to this problem of not trusting God's provision for us here. The truth of the matter here that we'll see is that uh, godly sowing, godly and generous giving will produce uh, both a great joy and a great harvest. It will produce for us great joy and great harvest. You, you may think, my relationship with God is stagnant. I'm not growing. I'm not seeing him work in my life. I... I Test me on this is what God says. Start giving generously and you will have a faith increase. Listen, I'm not talking about your pocketbook will increase, your wealth will increase. That's heresy. We're not talking about that. Look at 2 Corinthians 9. Start at verse 6. First four words there says, the point is this. The point is this. Now we're, we're just like starting here and there's this, all this context. So we see the point is this and we go, hey, Paul, what point? <laughs> the point is what? So he starts by telling them this principle and we'll get there in a second. But the context is that Paul has been collecting uh, some money for the believers in Jerusalem because there are quite a few poor Christians there in Jerusalem who aren't receiving enough. And there are Christians all over that region that have enough funds to help. So Part of his missionary journey is to collect funds to go back to Jerusalem. And he's doing this. He's planning on going back to Corinth. But here's the problem. He doesn't get back on time like he planned to. And in the meantime, he sends Timothy. And Timothy uh, discovers that the Corinthian church is just a huge mess. Because in the meantime, opponents of Paul have gotten here in this Corinthian church and started to gossip about Paul, started to talk about his theological ideas as if they were wrong, and so they were against him. And so they distrusted Paul's request for money from them. So the trust issue is a part of this passage here. 
So he's been explaining things. He's been developing an argument. He's been saying, listen, this is for your own good. He's writing here for their joy. That's what he's doing here. He says the point is this. And then he hearkens to this maxim, this well-known saying. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's not rocket science. Sow a little, cast just a little, and, hmm, surprise, surprise, harvest little. Sow a lot. Harvest a lot. It's farming 101. It's basic agriculture. And and, and Paul didn't make this up. It's a well-known idea that we've all heard and uh, that was known back then. And what he's doing is he's taking a phrase that Jesus had used in Luke 6 that we're going to look at here in just a second. Luke 6.38, if you want to turn there. Uh, Jesus uses this uh, terminology in Luke 6.38 to to make the same point. Uh, If you want to turn with me there. He says this, Luke 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. For a long time, I wondered about that middle section of that verse. Where it says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, uh, running over. In that agricultural world, there was this day labor thing where they would go out and work for the day, uh, taking a bag and harvesting uh, the grain. So Jesus is, is using that agricultural metaphor here. He's using that as an example to talk about what happens with, with giving and, and how you sow and you reap in ways uh, that, that both bring you joy and great harvest. So here's what they would do. This day laborer would go out for the day, have this bag, and, and as they were filling in the bag, they'd come back into the storehouse and, and dump it and go out with an empty bag. At some point toward the end of the day, uh, the farmer or whoever is in charge, the master of the, the house, the, the foreman of the farm, would yell out something like, Last bag! And everybody would know, Ah, it's time to fill the last bag, which is how I get paid. Very common, not all the time, but oftentimes these day laborers were paid with the wages that they would earn in this last bag's worth of gathering. So when it says good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, how much do you think I'm going to put in my bag if I know I'm getting paid with the last bag? Are we preaching yet? You know you're going to be sitting there going like, shaking it up, making sure you're getting as much as possible, walking in with this huge bag because you're getting paid with this. That's why he says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So Paul's picking up on this in 2 Corinthians 9, and he's explaining this principle. It's sort of like, you know, you go to the the convenience store, and you've got this big, big gulp, 64 ounce, huge thing, you know, you've been there in line and you 
fill it up and the fizz gets up to the top. Uh, but you know you've only got about 75% of it full and you wait for the fizz to go down. Then you, f- you fill it again. You wait for the fizz to go down. You fill it again. There are 17 people in line and you find they're at the top and, you, and then you get a little more. <coughs> I mean, not me. I'm sure you probably have. You're going to fill it as much as possible, which is this. Some of the joy you miss in your life as a Christian is because you don't trust God to provide. And so you're a cheapskate with what He's given you. Some of the joy you're missing that's available to you when you generously give in ways that accord with God's coming to reveal Himself to us. You want a good measure? Of joy? You want it to be pressed down, shaken together, running over? Participate by giving. You will see your faith increase and your joy increase, and hmm, a harvest of souls will be the result. This is how it works in the kingdom of God. It's not just about finances, of course, it's about gifts that we have, talents we have. It's about other things we steward as resources, our very lives in, in every sense of the term. But we're talking about financial stewardship. And even, yes, even finances result in the kingdom growing. Go ahead, look in the New Testament, test me. Go ahead, do your own study of it. I promise you will see that every single place in your life, every inch of it that God wants to use to increase your faith, that includes your pocketbook, He wants, because He's the owner, He's the sovereign, He's the one who, res- who deserves the glory. So even our pocketbook is not exempt from that. Let's keep reading here in the boogie. Verse 7. Some other principles about giving. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There are two parts of this that that define what a cheerful giver is. Verse 7, the first part there, it's divided in three parts, A, B, C. 7A says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. I'm not going to stand up here and say you have to do 10, you have to do 20, you have to do 5. Listen. The tithe, the 10% number is something from the Old Testament. But if you want to do your study, go ahead and do the study because what that means in the New Testament is suggested starting point. Go ahead and do your own study of it. I promise that's where you'll end up. Suggested starting point. So do it with intentionality. There are two factors here. 7A, do it with intentionality, number one. You must give as you have decided in your heart. And let's be frank about how most of the Christians that I've known for and, and, and some in my own life, I've struggled with this. And uh, for the last number of years, this has been something that hasn't been a problem, thank the Lord. But there were times when I gave unintentionally, accidentally, in, in a reactionary kind of way. There were lots of times when I gave, and it was just because I kind of knew I was supposed to. There's okay reason to, to give out of duty. Absolutely. But listen, don't give accidentally. That demonstrates where your heart is. That demonstrates your approach to your relationship with God. Doesn't it? I mean, I mean doesn't it? I, I'll think about the giving part of my relationship with God. When I get to church 
and it's like, okay, I'll, I'll tip if I like the sermon or the, the service was particularly good or, or he wore the clothes that I like or you know, whatever the case may be for you. That's not how Christians live. Listen, that's not how Christians live. A Christian lives knowing that I have eternity with God in me because of the Holy Spirit. And I live in ways that bring Him glory and praise. And that's how I get joy. So as much as possible, I'm going to live in ways that make that joy happen. So I'm going to think about it. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to, I'm going to find ways to scheme with the Holy Spirit to participate in the kingdom, to give every penny that I can to give to Him making his work happen because I want to enjoy as much of God working as possible. The second factor in that, in verse 7, is it says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. The second factor is that it has to be done freely. So a cheerful giver is, number one, somebody who gives intentionally, that's 7A. Somebody who gives freely, 7B. And then that's a cheerful giver. That's somebody who gives in a way that can comports that, that fits and accords with God's motivation to give to us. <clears throat> I think that's a pretty decent indication about the trajectory of your spiritual walk with God, of your life with Him, of your maturity, as to whether or not you enjoy the giving. If you don't enjoy the giving... In fact, I think you need to keep giving (laughs) because that joy will come, but it's going to take a little while. Let's keep rolling. Verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. This speaks to that distrust issue. There's enough grace to go around, people. There's enough grace to go around is what he's saying here. God is able to make it abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, in other words, so that being content in all circumstances at all times, no matter what, you may abound. Look at, look at how that, that works there. God's grace abounds to us so that we can be content in any and all circumstances so that we can have that grace abound to others. That's how it works. For the believer who gives, who gives to the kingdom work. Listen, <clears throat> I want you to scheme with me. Some of you are going to be like, oh, I don't want to do that. Okay, great. Great. Miss out on some joy. But I want you to scheme with me to be weirdos who get to the line at the drive-thru and you think, holy cow, that number two value meal with a double burger looks awesome. Comma, But I want to experience the joy of kingdom work, so I'm going to go with two little $1 value meal and get a little bit of a uh, cup of water so that I'm saving $2.50. Because I want to be content with this so I can use that $2.50 to experience the joy that I know that God has for me if I continue to increase my generosity. Because when we increase generosity, we identify with the heart of God. Listen, I want to grab as much joy as possible. I want to scheme in ways with the Holy Spirit to become content with less. Listen, it took me a while to be content with driving a minivan. I'm a soccer dad now. It took me a while. I'm okay with it now, thank you. 
But when I was 20, 25, I used to think, man, when I'm 40, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll be content with a, with a Honda Accord. Like, that's, that's, that'll be the top for me. And I'll be content with that forever. Well, you know, I, I could probably do a Honda Accord now. It would make, mean some payments for us that we don't do, but we probably could if we wanted to stretch it. You know, I'd rather drive a minivan that costs $6,000 that I paid cash for so that I have more funds. Let's just talk brass tacks, people. More funds to give to increase the work of God in my life and in the life of another. Scheme like that. Think like that. Dream like that. Look at your pocketbook like that. Don't live accidentally. Live intentionally. Do you have a kingdom fund in your budget? You have a kingdom fund, this little place where you put something in it each week and you think, God's going to give me something to give this to. Where's your kingdom fund? Or is this just an accident? I don't know about you. I'm going to experience the joy of seeing God work in people's lives. I'm going to do everything I can to live with contentment with what I have in all circumstances so that that's the case. So that God is able to make that grace abound to me so that being content because of the grace, not because of the material possessions I have, which will all die and we know it, will go away, cars break down, that that grace that I will be content with can abound in good works for others. Verse 9 says, as it is written, he's distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. We are made to mirror God in our generosity. Last two uh, verses here. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. There's where our word multiply comes from. He who supplies seed to the sower, in other words, God, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Friends, we, we, we don't give just to keep the lights on. Of course they do. And we, that's something we need to do. It's something you need to do at your house too. Don't get all this silliness about, oh, the church has a building. The church, you have a building, you live in a building. You keep your lights on. Listen, that's not why we give. It's a part of what helps us as we join and meet together. We give so that there can be a harvest of righteousness. That's why we give. Because this is about the, the character and nature of God, His righteousness coming out in your life and in mine in this congregation so that he can be made known. Here's the result. This is a great verse. Underline this, circle this, bracket it, highlight it. Verse 11. You will be enriched. These are the results. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The result is faith for us and thanksgiving in the life of another. That's the amazing thing that God does with our finances, with our resources. When we give, this isn't just about using the dollars and the cents. This is about using the faith that we have to participate in his work so that thanksgiving to God is the result in the lives of people. That's what multiplication does. You will be enriched to be generous, which through us, through you, those who give in generosity, will produce thanksgiving to God. I don't know if you've ever experienced this kind of thing. I've got a couple of stories like this uh, in my life. 
uh, I'm just going to call them giving stories. It's a story where um, at just the right time or with just the right amount, uh, something out of nowhere happens and finances are provided. There's a pastor who tells a story of uh, their family saving up for a vacation. Uh, and this is a guy who has like seven kids. Um, saving up for a family vacation. And they were going to go on this vacation. And, and, and just a few days before they were going to leave, they had some really good family friends uh, who were in the process of adopting uh, internationally. And something happened where they needed to go like the next day or two. And they didn't have the extra funds to fly over uh, to finish the adoption process. Um, and so this pastor and their family uh, gave their vacation money to their friends. And they adopted the child and now lives in their home. And the, the pastor said, this was, uh, this was fun for us. It was something that we enjoyed to be able to provide what God has given us for somebody else so that, listen, so that they could harvest righteousness in the life of this child who needed somebody to care for it. This isn't always the case, but this is why it's a giving story. <laughs> it's a giving story because just a few days after that, when the pastor and his wife were getting all the grief from the kids, somebody from the church uh, calls and says, hey, <laughs> we just happen to have this condo in Hawaii. And we're not going to be able to go this year like we planned to. Uh, why don't you guys take your family there? Uh, we'll pay you to go and uh, enjoy it. So they went and they had a great time as a family in Hawaii for the next 11 years. They were in Hawaii as a family. Vacation after vacation after vacation. Now, that may never have happened if they hadn't given the way. I don't know if it happened because God wanted to bless them because of it. It's not a one-for-one one relationship. And if you give your money away generously, it may be gone. Which means, which means you have to be a cheerful giver who loves giving because you love God and because He loves you. I don't know if you have any giving stories. I've got a couple. There was a time early on in our marriage. I was in seminary and we didn't have a lot of money. And uh, I had just started in youth ministry at a church there. And uh, we were having some struggles getting uh, the rent paid and we had a little more um, little more time but we had just been talking the week uh, that this happened about us not being able to meet rent and so um, I walk into church that morning and in my in my mailbox in a an envelope was $750 in cash anonymously just put in there said Scott and Dogney on it and uh and so I opened it up and I uh, counted how much was in there. $750. Guess how much our rent was? Somebody obeyed Jesus. Somebody, somebody thought, you know, I, I've got this. I want to bless somebody with it. I want to participate in, in the Spirit of God giving graciously without any... any any uh, assumption it's going to come back to you? And they gave. Happens all the time here at First Christian. I have the pleasure of being a part of the... Uh, well, I'm the, pretty much the only guy who doles out our benevolence. We try to give our benevolence to uh, people we know in situations uh, that we're 
well aware of. And about once a month, it'll happen that we'll give somebody something and they'll come back to me and say, listen, this was, this was just the right time. You don't know how badly I needed this. This was just the right time. I was about to have it turned off and I went that day and my lights are on. Happens all the time with kingdom money. I can tell you story after story after story of God using our resources, our financial resources for the sake of blessing people and of furthering his kingdom. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard a good keeping story? No, you haven't. We kept it, and oh my goodness, we were so blessed because we kept it. You ever heard that one? The question, friends, for us is, what are you hoping to harvest with your life, with your resources? What are you hoping to harvest? Ask yourself that question. Answer it. What are you hoping to harvest? Scripture tells us the model of God and Jesus tell us that he's hoping to harvest souls who give him thanksgiving. You can participate in that. You can experience the joy of participating in God harvesting souls. Don't do it by accident. Be intentional. Be prayerful. Be thoughtful. Don't be dumb. If you don't have it to give, don't give. It says not under compulsion. (laughs) But be intentional. Don't be accidental. If you've never given, start small if that's all you can do. Something is better than nothing. The discipline and obedience of giving to God regularly will increase your faith. Just start small. You probably spend more on the latte in three days that could be used for five to ten bucks a week if you don't. If you do give and you haven't increased in a long time and you just let it continue to be the same uh, automatic debit or the same check that's sent from your account. Think it through. Be intentional. Be prayerful. God will bless that. He says, test me. If you have been giving faithfully, be thinking about the next step of uh, faith that God has for you we try to increase our percentages by one every year. And we've been doing that for a good long while. It's fun to see how God uses that in our lives. Be intentional. Be thoughtful. Don't be accidental. Let's pray.